I love it when the songs minister to me. I don't know how well they minister to you this morning, but they really minister to me. About who we are in Christ, the truths that we can so easily let slip away when our focus changes. You know, we can get weary in the war, right? Weary in the battle. And we forget sometimes. And we sing about our Father, a good Father, how much He loves us, and the victory that's already been won for us. And sometimes we're so mired in a battle, a skirmish, and usually it's in the spirit. Um, usually we're, we're in the spirit, feel like we're losing the battle. We're slipping backwards. We're believing what the world says. And the songs that we sing like that just remind me again that we need to get on track. I loved, especially, I've been wrestling with my message all week. Um, <coughs> told Glenn yesterday at the airport, he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go home and fi- hope I find a message on my desk. And not that I didn't know what I wanted to share about, I just couldn't find direction. And we'll see if I found it yet. But when we sang about the kingdom of God and his kingdom coming, his kingdom being here, his kingdom being in us, and, and just affirmed and confirmed in my heart, at least I think I got the right topic how it flows together, we will see. The last couple of weeks, I was talking about, have been talking about sanctification, that process of us becoming more like Christ through the transformation that the Holy Spirit works in each one of us. And one of the things I need to always remind myself of that, that you know, when the sanctification starts, the moment we get saved, that's all God. We're saved by f- grace through faith, not by works, okay? It starts there. But from then on, until we die, there's a role for both us and God. The Holy Spirit says, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will give us the will or the desire to see these changes take place in our lives, and it will give us the grace or the ability to see those changes take place. We get so often, and we're trained by the world, really. You know, how how young are we when we hear, you can do it. Come on, try harder. You can do it. Don't worry, you'll get through. Come on, this too shall pass. You can just fight your way through. Gee, by the time you try that sometimes, you're so wore out and exhausted, you're just ready to punt and say, no, that's all, it's all wrong. And it is all wrong. In the flesh, we can't do it. We're not supposed to do it. You know, God, the Holy Spirit living in us, working in us, giving us the, the will, the desire, and the ability to overcome as we cooperate with him, as we cooperate with him. So the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to encourage us as we begin to understand that, to learn that we can't fight the battle in the spirit, that's in the spirit with our flesh. We try to do that all the time because we've been told to, and some of us are pretty good at it, and sometimes um, our attack is painful for others, more so even than us, because we don't know how else to respond. But that's what we've been trying to talk about is we, we can't fight a spiritual battle in the natural. We've got to fight that spiritual battle in the spirit, the armor of God, the word of God, the sword, the shield of faith. That's how we fight. That's how we win the battle. And in this process, what's taking place is we're going from what we were here being transformed slowly into the image of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's goal. Now, for me, sometimes when I hear something like that, it it makes sense up here. But I'm, I, I'm not good at seeing things in kind of the abstract. I, I like to say, okay, what's it mean? What's it supposed to look like? 
this process of transformation. You know, I might not be there, but if you can show me a picture of what there looks like, I think I'll be better at hearing the Holy Spirit and see that he's leading me there. So I kind of like, I guess, the practical. I like the roadmap. I like clarity. And Jesus gives clarity. Jesus gives us clarity. He tells us what it should look like in a life of a Christian as we become more transformed in the image of Christ and what a Christian, since the kingdom of God has come and the kingdom of God lives in us, what it should represent and demonstrate to the world. And it does this really, really well in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to turn into Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be focusing on the Sermon on the Mount probably for a few weeks. Some of you may be very familiar with to it or with it. I hope you maybe see more. The Holy Spirit gives you greater revelation. Some of us aren't very familiar with it at all. And I hope God just fills you up with what he wants you to receive. So <clears throat> my, my message this morning, the title would be Living a Kingdom Lifestyle. Living a Kingdom Lifestyle. We'll be talking about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is. We'll be looking at some of these things that almost be more like an introduction, even though I will read the first few verses of chapter 5. Um, almost an introduction to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So to, to do that, I want to first give you an illustration. This is from a long time back in history, and I hope that you can remember it as even as we go through this process this morning. This illustration, and it's a true story, it comes from a, a, a missionary many years ago named John Hess Yoder. And he was a missionary in Laos. And this was before the borders were, were set up. The colonialists had not established borders. So the border between Vietnam and Laos wasn't clear at all. And at the time, it was before they had the type of, type of governments they have now. There were kings. And I want to just read this illustration that this missionary said, I saw this and experienced a picture of the kingdom of God as a missionary in Laos and Vietnam. It says this, Before the colonialists imposed national boundaries, the kings of Laos and Vietnam reached an agreement on taxation in the border areas. And here's how they did it. Those who ate short grain rice, built their house on stilts, and decorated them with Indian-style serpents, they were considered Laotians. On the other hand, those who ate long grain rice, built their house on the ground, and decorated them with Chinese-style dragons, were considered Vietnamese. The exact locations of a person's home was not what de determined his or her nationality. Instead, each person belonged to the kingdom whose cultural values he or she exhibited. So it is with us. We live in the world, but we live in the world as part of God's kingdom. We are to live according to his kingdom standards and values. Do you get the picture? It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter. It, it, what, what matters is the way we demonstrate the lifestyle. How do we live? If we are part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God lives in us, there is a clear definition in the word and the scriptures we'll be looking at. A clear picture is painted of what it should look like. And it is distinctly different 
than the picture of what it looks like to live in the world. Two different kingdoms. The scripture one refers to one as the kingdom of light. One is the kingdom of darkness. If we've accepted Jesus Christ, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There is no way we should look like the people that live in the kingdom of darkness. And we should never expect them, those that have not brought into the kingdom of light, to look like us yet. They can't. Because they do not have the light of God, the Holy Spirit living in us. They have not been born again. We still love them and we want them to be transferred into the kingdom. But how many of us knew where we were going when the Holy Spirit started wooing us? Most of us just wanted to feel better, get rid of something in our life. We'd reached the proverbial bottom. And God rescued us. That's probably what it'll take for many others. But he is saying it didn't matter the location of their home. Instead, it was how the, the, the person belonged to the kingdom whose cultural values. So we should be able to look at our life. The world should be able to look at our lives and say, we're different. You live differently. You're not of this kingdom. You are of that kingdom. But we'll see there's a problem. The world has certainly infiltrated the church, and the church has certainly taken on a lot of the world. So the distinction is almost so blurred you can't tell the difference anymore. Christ's church should look distinctly different than the world. So in in chapter 5, before we get to chapter 5, I'm going to just give you a little bit of the history so you know where we're at. In chapter 3, it concludes with the baptism of Jesus. He goes to John the Baptist out in the wilderness, and he is baptized, and it kind of concludes with those words, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That end of chapter 3. In chapter 4, it goes right into the temptations of Jesus Christ in the wilderness by Satan himself. So it goes from being baptized, the declaration that this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, right into the wilderness with Satan, coming against him with lies and deceptions, challenges, uh, attacking his pride, his natural hunger, all these different, these three. And how did he win? He defeated him with the word of God. He defeated it with the power in the Word of God. He didn't defeat it with anything that came out of his natural human fleshly body. He was under direct attack from Satan, and he used spiritual uh, sword, the Word of God, to defeat him. We can learn from that right there. In chapter 4, verses 12 through 18, it reveals the beginning of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And in 4, verse 17, and I have this, I think, on the screen with two different translations. Uh, Maybe not, maybe just one. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say. So he's been baptized, he's been tempted by Satan, and he defeated him, and his ministry begins. And then this verse basically tells you the highlight, the key points of his ministry. His ministry, he began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is at hand. And those are really the same thing. You'll read it differently in different translations and different places in the Bible. But the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, repent for it is at hand. And Matthew 4.23 says this, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. 
and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pains, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Jesus started his ministry. He went out preaching repentance, repeating the good news of the kingdom, and then he demonstrated the kingdom through the signs and wonders and miracles that followed. This is how his ministry got launched. So that brings us to chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I think I'll go ahead and read the first 12 verses. And when he saw the multitudes, you can imagine, as it said, they came from all over the place. They'd heard his preaching. They'd heard his teaching. and They'd seen signs and wonders and miracles. They'd brought all the sick, the epileptics, the demon-possessed. They'd brought them all, and he healed them all, delivered them all. The crowds came. So you can imagine the crowds. And then it says, when Jesus, oops, get the right page here. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. First thing I just want to mention there is notice the disciples came to him and he's speaking primarily to the disciples. Now the multitudes may have been able to hear him, some of those around him, but he's giving this instructions primarily directly to his disciples, followers. We would make call them today Christians. And then it says, in opening his mouth, he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be blessed or satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when, blessed are you when men can cast insults at you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are you. So before we go into this a little bit further, I want to back up and talk a little bit about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Notice in verses 3 and 10 as we read it, it said, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, present tense. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's theirs already. When we humble ourselves, we realize our poor condition, our hopeless condition, our helpless condition. We can't do anything about sin in our life. Blessed are those who come to that place and cry out and receive Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, present tense. All of the rest of the promises of what we see in what we call the Beatitudes here is spoken of in terms of future tense. Blessed are, they shall. Blessed are, they shall. But we see in verses 3 and 10, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, almost all the time that we hear the word kingdom, it's understood to be more of a dynamic nature, dynamic nature and refers primarily to the rule of the king. It doesn't 
refer to, in very many places, a few it does, to a static or a geographic area. The word here is more about the rule or reign of the kingdom, the king in this kingdom. The phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, maybe could be better translated for us to understand it more easily as simply the rule of God. The rule of God. Wherever he reigns and rules, it's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. There's lots of debate, lots of discussion among theologians, lots of heretical teaching about the kingdom of God, or at least I believe it's heretical, about the kingdom of God because there's some differing positions. Because it's interesting, nowhere in the scripture did Jesus or any of the disciples or any of those that wrote the New Testament tell us explicitly what it was. Jesus was a first century Jew. He, un- he, kn- he just assumed that the people he was talking to understood it. And we need to understand that. So that's why there's so much discussion. What does it mean? It means this, it means that. I, I hope I'm going to share with you what I think it means. And maybe you'll even agree with me. We'll see. The kingdom of God. When Jesus was here in the days of his flesh, Jesus said this in Matthew 12, verse 28. So Jesus is walking on the earth. He's speaking to his followers in the crowds. And he said these words. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Did Jesus cast out demons when he was walking on the earth in the flesh? Yes. When he did that, he is saying that's because the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God was here in Jesus. His reign and rule and authority, wherever the reign of God is being manifested, the kingdom of God is there. In Matthew 12, 28, in the New Living Translation, it reads, If I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. So we have the kingdom of God present when Jesus was walking on the earth and ministering. He's telling the disciples, it's here. The kingdom of God is present right now at this moment and every single one of us that are true believers in Jesus Christ. A couple of scriptures. Colossians 1, 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been transferred through his son, through the forgiveness of sins. What does that mean? When When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior at the moment of salvation, Our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the shedding of his blood, because of his death, burial, and resurrection. When we accept that, we have been transferred from one kingdom to another. It's present in every single one of us that know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's manifested more and more and more and more as we allow the Holy Spirit direct the way we live. He is reigning and ruling in our hearts. The more that we respond in obedience. In Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven. That, That makes no sense at all unless we are part of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That is where our citizenship really is. That's who we are supposed to be. So it's present now in each one of us. And the kingdom of God is yet to come. The Bible tells us there's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. Jesus is going to reign and rule, and we get to rule and reign with him. 
in that new heaven, in that new earth. He's going to come, and the Scripture tells us, at the name of Jesus, there is coming a day when Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in his rule and in his reigning, every single knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the kingdom of God, in our mind, we need to understand, the kingdom of God was present when Jesus was on the earth, walking in the flesh, doing what he was doing. The kingdom of God is present right now in every single one of us as believers. The moment you become born again, you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Can you see why there should be a distinction? Can you see why we shouldn't look like the world in the kingdom of darkness? We should look like Jesus in the kingdom of light. And again, as I said the last few weeks, it's a process, but it begins instantly when we're transferred from one kingdom to the next. And yet they have a kingdom that is coming in its fullness when Jesus comes back. When the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection, those that are alive are taken up to meet him in the air when he comes back to rule and reign. So the, the kingdom of God, sometimes you'll hear phrases. Now I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures first. Maybe they're already up there. Second Peter 3. According to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. In Philippians 2.10 and 11, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about the kingdom. This way it will say, it is present and it is future. True. We Sometimes you'll hear people say, the kingdom of God is now but not yet. It doesn't matter how you describe it, but I think I want to make sure we understand the kingdom of God lives and reigns in every one of us. We are part of his kingdom. And as part of his kingdom, we should begin to look more and more like citizens of the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is really telling us when we get into the Beatitudes that I read and the rest of chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know what a lifestyle should look like of a kingdom citizen, there it is. All of it. We should look like all of it. The Beatitudes that we looked at this morning and just read them this morning, you have to have them in their entirety. It's, It's like they build one on top of the other. You know, it's not, well, you should be one or the, it's kind of like when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we sometimes call them the fruits of the Spirit. The Bible says, no, it's the fruit of the Spirit, and these are the nine manifestations of it. Love, goodness, kindness, all those, all patience, peace. We say, I got that one, I got this one. No, you don't get to pick the fruit. You should have all of it. It's the fruit. And here it is in the Beatitudes. Well, I'm not doing so good there. Well, the reason you're not doing so good there is because there's refining that hasn't taken place yet. That's not to condemn us because not all of us have refining that hasn't taken place yet. But it should be our lifestyle. This is what it should look like in the life of a Christian. I just want to point out again, and I mentioned it right away, we, we, we can't expect citizens of this world, the darkness, to look like what's being described in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. They're still living in that world. They are still citizens of that world. Doesn't make them all evil. Doesn't make them bad, horrible people. There's lots of really good people 
They have not been transferred for the king, to the kingdom of light because they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So it's not to condemn them and say, boy, they are losers. No, there we were except for the grace of God over here. But by His grace and the faith that He gave us to receive the gift of salvation, we've been transferred. His disciples came to Him and He began to teach the disciples. Now, it's a a familiar section of Scripture to a lot of us, I know, but I just want to reestablish why I think it's so important that we study it. Why is it so important that we try to live it? Well, first, Jesus died on a cross so that we could. We really shouldn't need any more motivation than that. Jesus had to die on a cross so that we could be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and live this life of blessedness, happiness. We'll talk about that in a moment. That's one of the reasons that he died, so that we could live that life. And it does really show us once again the absolute necessity of being born again the absolute necessity of accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Because what's listed here in what we call the Beatitudes is absolutely impossible for a non-believer. That's absolutely impossible. Matter of fact, as you go through that list, you'll see that they go against human nature. They're not a natural response, any of them, from the flesh. It's a God thing. So it really shows us just how utterly helpless we are to live this way in our own strength. And that's why sometimes you see people that that are good people and they're trying so hard. They want to be a good person. These would be the people that say, I'm working my way to Jesus. That's how I'm going to be saved. I'm going to just become a good person. They get so frustrated and exhausted that they finally give up. Sadly, there's a lot of people that are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, but we don't change our habits. We still try to do it like we were doing it over here in our own strength. We're trying to transform us into the image of Christ. It's like we're going to be our own sculptor. We're going to take out the hammer and chisel, and we're going to work on us till we look like Jesus. It isn't going to happen. We've got the opportunity because he died And when he died and he was raised from the dead, he ascended to heaven and he went to the Father and said, Dad, send the Holy Spirit to live in them so they can be transformed into our likeness, so that they can live the life of blessedness that he has for us. We are missing the boat. Too many of us that have been transferred from one kingdom to the other, but we're still fighting like we did in the old kingdom. And of course, guess what? We get the same consequences. The only good news is we're not living in that kingdom anymore. Our destination home is in heaven. But we should be living like citizens just overwhelmed with blessedness. An inner state of blessedness, of inner state of happiness, an inner state of contentment. Man alive, there's a lot of us that are over here. Oh, thank goodness we're saved, but boy, are we miserable. Boy, are we not content. I'm not very happy because we're still fighting over here in the world, and we're using the same tools that we used in the world way too often. The more we live and practice this life 
the more blessedness we will receive. The abundant life that Christ died for, the more we walk it out, the more we get blessed. And the abundance comes. And this is just kind of a, well, it's not a lesser thing as far as importance, but it's like it's almost a free add-on to this package of why we should study and look at this section we call the Sermon on the Mount and look at this lifestyle and try to live this lifestyle by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit leading. It is the probably the most effective form of evangelism that we're ever going to have. Living a life of blessedness, contentment, peace, happiness, being transformed in the image of Christ. Boy, how many of us don't know that the world is looking for peace, happiness, contentment? And everywhere they look takes them deeper into the hole because it fails once again. Evangelism. Blessed are. Now, we can get confused again as we go into the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And really, it can be translated the word happy. But happy can't be defined the way we sometimes let it be defined. And we do, what we do there is we let it def- be defined by how we feel based on circumstances. In other words, we allow the external to determine my blessedness or my happiness or my contentment. Anybody ever do that? Well, I'm having a good day. I'm up today. I am so happy. I am so content. And then something happens about 9.30 in the morning, and it's all gone. And we look just like the worst that we're here in the world because it's stolen because of the external. The happiness that this word implies and talks about is a happiness that is an internal state that comes from inside. My happiness, my blessedness, my contentment comes from knowing that Jesus Christ The Holy Spirit lives in me. I have been saved. I have been transferred from darkness to the kingdom of light. That's where it comes from. The fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the goodness. That's where it comes from. It doesn't depend on what's coming out here. Because if you you look around lately, you'll see it's just waves and waves and waves of bad stuff. Negative stuff. Every now and then something good comes along and we (gasps) tell... And then here it comes again. And we'll lose it just like that because we'll be fighting it in the flesh. We're not to look and fight the way we did in the old world. When we're in that place, when we were, where we were in the kingdom of darkness, we would do, most of us anyway, maybe I should just say I would, I would try to do anything I could to avoid the misery, right? What do you do to try to avoid the misery? What does the world do to try to avoid the misery? You know where the the world looks to primarily to avoid the misery that's happening in their life? Amen. His timing's always perfect. You know what we do? We sin. That's what the world does to avoid misery. We turn to sin. This is the deception of sin. We look to the things of the world to avoid misery that's making us feel miserable. You know, if I just go out and party hard tonight, 
man alive, if I just get hammered, if I go out and do a little weed, maybe I snort a little coke, maybe I smoke a little meth, maybe, 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 maybe if I, you know, my wife's a little boring, I think I'm going to go find a hot young chick. Not that you're not a hot young chick (laughs) compared to me. (laughs) I'm going to go do that stuff. Oh, golly, it's going to be fun. I'm going to go buy this. I'm going to spend this. I have my credit limit got raised. Praise God. I can go buy a new car. You know what happens when we do those things? And a lot of the things that we do aren't that obviously bad. But anything that we do in the world to avoid the bad things, to make us feel better, that gets our eyes off of God, no matter how good it is, once it gets our eyes off of God, it is sin. It's become the current idol of the day in your life or my life. It gets our eyes off. So we fight this thing like we were in the world. And you know the thing about sin is it may feel good for a moment, but how many of you discover there are consequences that follow? And the good, amen, and the good feeling doesn't last very long. I mean, I remember my B.C. days. Fortunately, I've forgotten a lot of them. But I remember, you know, man, let's go out tonight. Man, it was a tough week. Oh, God, it was horrible. Let's just go. Let's go party. How many of you know when you do that on Friday night, Saturday morning is painful? You liars. Most of you know exactly what I mean. That's why God created red beer. Did you know that? Those, how many of you don't know what red beer is? Most of you do, in other words, huh? Okay. You can look pious if you want. But that's what we do. And it, it doesn't work. It fails every time. The deceitfulness of sin. So we're not going to look at all of the Beatitudes today. We'll probably look at them some next week. But in a general sense, when you look at those verses, 1 through 12, in a very general sense, this is what all Christians are to look like. How's that for a big assignment? There should be no, no divisions. There should be no groupings. We should all look like this. It doesn't matter what label you have as far as a denomination or anything like that. It doesn't matter. This is what Christians are supposed to look like. The way it's described here. And we're all to manifest all of these things. Poor in spirit, those who mourn, the gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those that have been persecuted. That should all be us, every single one of us. And as I said before, each one of them implies or leads to the next. And you need to hear this clearly. All of them manifest in our lives by grace alone. By grace alone. We have to cooperate, but the Holy Spirit gives us the grace to cooperate. It's all by grace, not by works. The grace of God working in our lives and us just cooperating with what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. The last thing I want to ever become personally or I want any of us to become are Christians that are just striving to be more like Jesus in the flesh. It's okay to strive to be like Jesus in the Spirit. 
And I guarantee if we do that, we will not get tired. We will not get wore out. We will not get frustrated. But if we get into the flesh, all those things are going to happen. It's all by grace, produced by grace. And as I said earlier, and I'm going to just review this real quickly, the difference should be clear. The difference should be stark between the non-Christian and the Christian, between those that are citizens of the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Just to hit a few, Christian admires a man who is poor in spirit. In other words, one who knows that without Christ, we are nothing. The world admires self-confidence, self-sufficiency, mastering life. Doesn't mean, as a Christian, you're not confident. As a matter of fact, you're very sufficient. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. But for a Christian, it's knowing who you are in Christ. In the world, it's so much the all that you can be because you are who you are. The Christian seeks righteousness. The non-Christian seeks wealth or status or position or power. And that's what we admire. Christian lives for another world, heaven. We're not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. We just aren't there yet. We're just sojourners, travelers, going through this little life here on earth until we enter into the kingdom fully where we belong. And the non-Christian lives for the world, lives for the things of the world. As a Christian, we are very aware of our limitations. You know, without, without Christ, I can't accomplish anything of value whatsoever. Non-Christian confident of their own capacity. And we train them to be confident in your own capacity. You know what the primary difference is between living for the kingdom and living for what we might call the American dream or the, whatever the world presents as the American dream? Who do you want to make much of? Christ or the things of the world? The real difference between the kingdom mindset and the worldly mindset is the king. If your mind is set on the king of kings and the Lord of lords, it will change the way we live our lives. But as soon as our mind gets on the world, we will become like the world. You will become like the world. I remember this is years ago. I wasn't, it was 1990-something before some of you were born. I remember I, I went to, on a mission trip to Russia with a guy named Tom Welch who lived out in New Jersey, and his offices were right downtown New York City. And he took me downtown New York City, and we were traveling around in his big home. And, I mean, he, 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 called me, he, he called me up and asked if I would go with him, so he paid for everything. And money was not an issue. It wasn't an option. And I was only around that a few days. And I could just feel the change inside of me, where my mind was going. You know, envy or if only or, you know, this ministry deal wasn't the best move after all. You know, it's so easy. As soon as our mind gets on that, we start to slide over and become more and more like that. That's why the king of kings, our mind on the king, will help us to stay and to grow in the way that the Lord wants us to grow. So simple question, what is the place of the king in our minds? What is the king, place of the king in our own lives? Where are you and I at? Is he central in your affections? And there's lots of things competing for your affections. Is he central in your vocabulary? What comes out of your mouth? 
is essential in what we want to see happen out in the world today. Some of us can be like those guys in the Bible, the disciples that said, Lord, you want us to throw fire from heaven on them and kill them all? Are we concerned more about what happens at work or even at church? What happens in our leisure time? What happens in our homes and whatever happens in our families? And none of those things are bad. It's just when our focus gets on them more than on God, on the Lord, and our mindset is shifting. You know, this seems strange because we so often hear that the world hates the church. But when the church looks like what the church is supposed to really be like according to the Scripture, not according to what man has made it, the world is attracted to the church. The church is supposed to walk in truth and in love in unity. And when we do that, people are drawn to the church, drawn to the kingdom. So there's a whole lot of reasons why we should be desiring to live this lifestyle. And then Jesus goes on after the Beatitudes and gives a lot of, and some of what we're going to run into is quite controversial. For example, divorce, remarriage. There's stuff in here, but Jesus is laying it out. This is what it should look like in the kingdom. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and and start reading through chapters 5, 6, 7, familiarizing yourself with Jesus' message. It's the longest teaching that Jesus gave in his time on earth, describing what you and I should look like. So don't get discouraged. We're works in progress. But if you're like me, it's nice to know what we should look like when we get there. But don't be like me when it comes to, okay, now that I know, now I'm going to just go in my own strength. You'll wear yourself out. Frustrated and quit. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today that you've given us this day. It's a gift from you. Every day is a gift from you. I thank you, Lord, that you rescued most of us by faith from the kingdom of darkness and you have brought us in to the kingdom of your light. That we have been born again by the blood of Jesus death and resurrection, accepting that gift by grace through faith. Father, we pray that we become more malleable, more pliable in your hands. You are the master sculptor. You are the master artist. You are the one who will transform and change us. I pray that you give us the ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is speaking. Give us the grace to respond in obedience. God, I pray that you guard the hearts and minds of everyone here that No one here could hear me this morning say we need to work harder or try harder in the flesh. That would be a trap of the enemy. Lord, I pray that we would walk in the freedom and the liberty that comes through being the children of God. Pray your blessing on us as we go our separate ways. Watch us, keep us safe, protect us. And again, Lord, I just pray for our youth team in the Dominican Republic. Watch over them and keep them safe this week. Anoint the words that they speak, every opportunity they get to share. Anoint their hands as they build the home for this family. God, we pray that it would be such a blessing to this family that would impact the whole community where they live for your glory and for your honor. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.